a week ago, we kicked off the semester. We launched back on Monday nights. Mondays are such a sweet, special time of worship, special time of opening up God's word. And then on Thursday nights, we started our small groups. But I want to tell you, we started uh, last week with a new sermon series. The title, of course, is Can't Stop the Feeling. And in this series, we have been uh, talking about how your emotions can lead you closer to God. Uh, it was really, really cool. I want to tell you to hear the conversations last week after this topic, after this idea. It was really a blessing to my heart to have conversations with many of you last week after the view about uh, the message last week. That really blessed my heart. Um, so, man, if you uh, are finding yourself uh, being drawn to learn more about, first off, Jesus and God's word, you're in the right place. But also, if you find yourself wanting to learn more about what you feel, why you feel it, and how you can take that to the Lord, you're in the right place. And so with this series, I'm very excited. Now let me tell you where we were last week. Let me recap last week for a little bit. The title last week, it was a part one, we talked about a God who feels. And we talked about this idea that feelings oftentimes, depending on what culture and where you live, can be viewed as very good, very bad, something to follow and lead us, or even something that we should try to suppress and never experience. It's all in between. Well, last week we established a truth from God's word. Okay, if you weren't here last week, this is very important to know for tonight. And if you, even if you were, this is a good reminder. We stamp down the truth that it is a good thing to have feelings. That it's a good thing to have emotions. That emotions are not bad. And the reason why we know that is because we have a God of emotions. We have a God who feels and because God is good, he has gifted us with emotions. That truly, at the core of our feelings, they are a blessing and a gift for us to experience. In the same way that God has gifted us with free will. In the same way that God has gifted us with food. All God's people said, amen, we're grateful for food. Every one of us in here probably know how to eat, right? In the same way, God has given us a good thing, which is feelings. We talked about last week how any crucial moment in your life, any moment that you really remember has an emotion attached to it. Am I right? We talked about that. You remember the emotion you have when you say goodbye to a loved one in the hospital. But on the flip side of that, you remember the emotions you have when life goes really well and things seem to be going in the right direction. You remember the emotions that were attached to them. At the same time, and this is what we're going to explore over the next six weeks, we found that our emotions can lead us to sin if we're not careful. Right? We establish that emotions often are not good leaders. They're very good followers. They're meant to be in the car, not driving the car. Right? But what we often do, and this is crucial for where we're going tonight, is we feed our good emotions with sinful thoughts that lead to sinful actions. It's kind of the groundwork we laid last week, that it's a great thing to feel. It's a great thing to know emotions and to experience emotions and even to share them. There's nothing better to experience than to connect and share love. At the same time, we have to be aware of our thoughts because when we experience an emotion like anger or joy or pleasure, we can feed it with sinful thoughts, which if you are a human being, which every single one of us in here are, you know how damaging that can be. Well, tonight we're going to get more practical than we were last week. If you haven't heard last week's, I would encourage you to go back and check the podcast out this week. But we laid some groundwork last week. I want to dig into some practicality. So if you're taking notes, I want you to go ahead and write this down at the top. Very going along the same lines as last week. The title is A God Who Feels Part 2. A God Who Feels Part 2. This is a part two to last week's message. We're going to dig even deeper on the concepts we established last week. Now, I also told you that here at The View, we are very passionate about God's word. We are very passionate about prayer, and most of all, we're very passionate about Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died for our sins, rose from the grave, and because of that, we get to worship 
and experience a relationship with him. Which means it's worth our applause and our excitement and our cheers when we get to open up God's word. As a ministry that we would collectively agree, when we go to God's word, it's worth cheering and applauding and feeling excitement for. Because when you get in the word, the word gets in you. And when the word gets in you, the word changes you. Has anybody been there before? Amen? You know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, we pray that you would. So each week that we open up God's word, what we want to cheer for, who we want to hear from, is not a speaker or a pastor. It's not a topic or an idea or a concept. It is God himself. And so, if you will, I hope you'll get as loud as you can. Open up with me to Psalm 55 tonight. Amen. Psalm 55. Psalm chapter 55. guys hear that? Ben, did you hear that? Is that me? I'm sorry. It's coming through the speakers. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's me hitting the mic or what. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> so tonight, as we look at Psalm 55, we're also going to jump to Luke 8 in a minute. You don't have to go there yet, but be ready. We're going to go there in a minute. What I want to do is I want to read a verse to you that I love from Psalm 55. It's a beautiful verse, and it's going to kind of set the scene of where we're going for the next few minutes as we talk about emotions and as we talk about feelings. So look with me at Psalm uh, 55. We're going to read verse 22. Psalm 55, verse 22. God's word says this. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Let's read it again. God's word says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Let's pray. God bless you. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for tonight. And God, we pray that as we open up your word, as we talk about your word, that you would have every word to say tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, Lord. We pray against the enemy as we know that he loves to bring chaos and confusion. He loves to discourage us. We pray against the attacks of the enemy right now. We pray, Lord, that you would have every way tonight, every word tonight. Lord, move, encourage us, convict us, speak to us tonight, Lord. We know that we are gathered in this place for a reason, and Lord, we pray that we would be so fortunate to see what that reason is. So, Lord, thank you for everyone on the side of my voice. We want to hear from you tonight. If anyone doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray that they would begin that relationship tonight. Lord, we love you. And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Let me give you the first thing that I want you to write down. And this is where we're going to start. Number one, the dangerous effects of not trusting God with your emotions. The dangerous effects of not trusting God with your emotions. Now, Scripture is very clear all throughout Scripture. That we have a God who cares. We have a God who desires to hear from us. A God who desires to know us and for us to know him. Scripture makes very clear that we don't have a God that is not involved in his creation. God is very involved in his creation. He makes his presence known. He has made his presence known to all. and He has make, makes his presence evident. And so understand that very clearly there is a danger to our emotions that we have to be aware of. I want you to write this statement down. We can't be emotionally healthy without being emotionally honest. You will never be emotionally healthy without being emotionally honest. As we talk about how you feel, you cannot lie to a God who knows all, but you can certainly lie to the people in your life. 
So before we dig into any aspects of it tonight, understand that Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that in Christ we have freedom because he is the truth. However, when we choose not to be honest, we put imaginary cuffs on ourselves. Again, we enslave ourselves to something we were never meant to be slaves to. That's why it's such a blessing to be honest. Because it is freeing. There is nothing more, there is nothing that will lock you down more than not being honest. Lying is one of the heaviest things to carry, and it will make you a slave. It will put you in chains. In truth, we find freedom. Now, that comes with you being honest with yourself about how you feel, but most importantly, being honest with God about how you feel. However, we have an entire generation that struggles to understand how deeply God wants to know us, including the ways that we feel. We also struggle to trust other people and if we can really trust them with how we're feeling. So what happens a lot of times is we're not truly honest. Every single one of us know in here what it's like to tell a lie. It's even harder to carry a lie. And for some of us in here, when it comes to emotions, we do a really good job of carrying lies to ourselves about how we feel. So what I want to do tonight is I want to challenge you. In 1 Peter, it says, cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. Our verse tonight says, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. You have a God that cares about the way you feel. My question is this, do you care about the way that you feel? Because if you don't care about the way that you feel, then you will allow, you will allow yourself to go through and experience whatever and you'll never take any proactive steps to stop yourself from feeling like you're on a roller coaster emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually. How many of you know that what we think and how we feel every day affects our spiritual lives as well. Do you know that? How many of you know that even physically, how you treat your body affects your spiritual life? Do you know that? Listen, it sounds hilarious, but overeating affects you negatively more than you and I think. And in America, we really have a hard time grasping how that negatively affects us. But God's word says that the body is a temple. What is it a temple to? It's a temple to the presence of the living God, that God's spirit lives in you. And when you and I don't treat our bodies the way that God has told us and designed us to treat our bodies, it affects our spiritual life. Listen, it's very hard, and we're going to jump right in here. It's very hard to live in sexual sin and come to church ready to throw your hands up and worship. It's very hard to treat your body like it's not a temple and then go worship the God who it's supposed to be housing as a believer, his presence, his spirit. Us not being honest leads to so much chaos and disunity in our lives. So hear me, the very first step before we get into anything else is that you have got to be willing to be honest with yourself, honest with the Lord, and then honest with somebody in your life. What I know as I talk about honesty is that somebody in here has a big old bag over their shoulder that they're holding on to of lies that they're not willing to deal with. Sometimes the person we lie to the most is ourselves. Man, I'm telling you, we're jumping in deep tonight because this is what our generation wants to hear about, yours and mine. We want to hear truth. Some of us are walking around like this. We're wondering why our shoulder hurts. We're wondering why our back hurts. And it's not because of old age. Everybody's in here is younger than me. Praise the Lord. You're tired and your body is telling you what you are neglecting in your mind and in your heart. Truly, your body will respond to the emotions and the thoughts that you have, and it will either praise the Lord or it will groan and tell you that you are missing the mark honestly. So hear me. One of the greatest truths is that you have to be willing to be honest. What good is there to come to a series on emotions but not be honest about them? Now, if we have a God who cares, let's establish that truth tonight. We have a God who cares, who wants our burdens, who is pleased when we cast our burdens to him, which means to both hands throw, right? Can't keep one hand on it. 
In order to throw something, you got to give both hands. We have a God who cares, who wants to know what you feel, who wants to know what you're going through. It's not that you hurt God when you hold on to those things for yourself. It's that you're hurting you and you're missing out on a great opportunity to know him deeper. We have a God who cares, that desires honesty from us. When it comes to your emotions and the way you feel, emotions can be a blessing or they can be a burden. If you've ever had your heart broken, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been left on red, you know what I'm talking about. Or opened, you know what I'm talking about. Delivered. If you've ever faced any kind of rejection, you know that emotions can be a hard burden to carry. Sometimes the most suffering that we experience is the emotions that we carry, not even something physically. Some of us see the beatings that Paul endured in the New Testament, and we can identify with that to a degree. Not many of us have experienced beatings and lashings for our Christian faith the way Paul did. That's kind of hard to relate. But when Paul talks about having a thorn in the flesh, it's so fascinating that that's a popular, popular, uh, known piece of Scripture to a lot of Christians is that he had a thorn in the flesh. And what's so fascinating about it is that it's so, it sticks with us, but we don't even know what that thorn was for Paul. He never says what it was. But what we do identify with Paul in that is a personal weakness that Paul carried some kind of weakness that continued to take him back to relying on God. For some of us in 2024 in America, the burdens we carry, the weaknesses we have, is how we feel and when we don't know what to do with it. Now, let's really jump in. Here's what I want to show you. On the screen, you're going to see how emotions arise. And you are welcome to write these down. I want to show you how emotions arise. How do we get to this place from the first part? And so the first thing that happens is that an event occurs. The first thing that happens is that an event occurs. Now, this is amazing because this could be anything in your life. You can see an old friend at Kroger. You can have car trouble. You can get a health diagnosis, good or bad. You can have somebody step on your shoes. You can overeat. Anything happens in your life. Even if it's not something that happens, somebody can say something. A word, a comment, a question, something happens. After that event happens for you, whatever it is, big or small, what happens next is that a prediction is made. Now you think about this because you'll see this happen in your life. Whenever an event occurs or something is said, what you and I do is subconsciously we make a prediction in our mind. Subconsciously, we make a prediction whether this event or this word should be perceived as positive or negative. We make a prediction. So you run into somebody at Kroger that you haven't seen in many years. Immediately, you start to say, is this a good thing or a bad thing? If it's an ex, it might be a bad thing. I'm going down another aisle. I'm not seeing that person, right? If it's somebody you miss and you love who moved away, and you're like, oh, man, this is great, and you predict it as a good thing, right? We make a subconscious prediction to every single thing that happens in our life. And that's how we begin to feel, because number three is simply this, the effect. What happens when you predict positive or negative is that you feel an effect based on that moment that just happened, right? Are you tracking with me? Your body and your mind and your heart react to what is happening in front of you. When you see a beautiful sunset, boom, it captures your attention, and immediately you feel an overwhelming peace and an overwhelming joy, and you're like, this is amazing, Whenever you see a car accident, my goodness, every single one of us got to drive by looking just like this, watching every single detail of what happens, judging the people in front of us. But when we pass by, we're doing the same exact thing. We feel an effect of that moment 
And it's based on how we respond to it in our mind, whether it's positive or whether it's negative. Now, for those who worry a lot, which statistically, if we were to take the church, zero-year-old to 100-year-old, this is the ministry and the age group that statistically worries the most. If you worry a lot, you can find a way to turn any event into predicting it as a negative. Woo, hear what I'm saying for a minute. I'm telling you, don't miss this tonight. In other words, people who worry can often create a reason to worry that is not even real. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you think you're someone who worries of what people think of you, anything that is said, big or small, can lead you to feeling flustered emotions. You know as well as I do. Somebody doesn't even have to say anything about you, and you begin to worry that they think something of you. Somebody says, oh, I like your jacket today, and immediately you start thinking, did they not like the jacket that I wore yesterday? Why would they tell me that today and not yesterday? Somebody says, man, I really love that person over there. And you start thinking, man, do they not love me? Why haven't they told me that? Do they say that about me when I'm not around? Do they tell other people that? And boom, you start rolling and rolling and rolling. This is why you hear some people turn positives into negatives. Have you ever heard this? Some, something good happened to somebody and they say, man, this has got to be too good to be true. You ever heard that? It's because there's those of us who begin to immediately perceive most things as negative. And your generation, mine went through 9-11, yours has gone through many crazy elections, yours just went through a COVID pandemic, it's about to go through another crazy election in 2024. We are often scarred in a lot of the things that we have endured and we are taught to perceive things as negative. That's why we don't respect those in authority. We don't respect a lot of people in authority because we've learned to have caution with anyone who has authority because we're very suspicious that they're gonna turn out to be against us, right? We worry a lot and we create things in our minds that often are not even real worries to be had. Fears, fears that well up in us that we can't do anything about. It's crazy. People who are often fearful can tell themselves they should be afraid of things that aren't even worth fearing. And when this event happens, this is when your heart begins to race, your chest feels tight, your neck tightens up. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Your body is responding to the emotion that you have. I'm telling you, we're going to get to how you take this to the Lord, but understand, that's what's happening for you. Is you're making a prediction subconsciously in your mind, whether this is good or bad, and then your body and your emotions are responding to that outcome. I'll give you a great example. When it comes to Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24, these scriptures are so impactful because it tells us the opposite of what we're supposed to do in this situation. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. So think about this journey for a minute. Something happens to you that you perceive as negative. Something is said to you that you perceive as negative. Immediately you experience this emotion of fear, worry. It overtakes you in a way. The very next thing most of us do is we begin feeding that emotion with sinful thoughts. And that leads us to sinful actions. Because the moment you begin to feel your heart race, the moment you begin to feel your chest tight, the moment you begin to experience a feeling that you don't really know what to do with, you immediately oftentimes go to the worst case scenario. Even if somebody says something about you, 
that would be a slight to you or would cut you down. What a lot of us do is feed that emotion by saying, man, nobody really likes me. Everybody thinks this about me. Everybody has it out for me. I can't trust anybody. And when you feed an emotion with sinful thoughts, it will always lead to sinful actions. No sinful thought ever just dies with that thought. If it isn't dealt with, it's going to lead to sin. For a lot of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. My question to you is, are you tired of living that way because it's exhausting? So when this happens, Scripture says, cast your burden on the Lord. We're going to get there in a minute of the benefits of that. But what we often do is we respond in one of three ways subconsciously. It's called the three C's. And these three C's, what they represent is it represents our go-to mechanisms to deal with an emotion that we can't really comprehend. If you've ever felt overwhelmed, if you've ever felt sick to your stomach, if you've ever felt like you can't really process something, what we do is we respond in one of these three ways. So I want to give you the first one is this. The three C's is, A is, you try to control. You try to control. If you think about a moment that this happened to you, you'll relate for sure. If you're a control freak, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Being out of control is, for some of us, our worst nightmare. You try to control. This is a, a mechanism we use whenever we feel overwhelmed or we have an emotion we don't know what to deal with. Now, this won't be on the screen, but you can write it down if you want. We, we try our hardest to take charge of our situation. Instead of dealing with the emotions that we feel, a lot of us try to control the circumstances that give us that emotion, and that does not work out very well. I'm telling you, if you believe that you can control your circumstances to avoid that emotion, you're going to find yourself living even more anxious than the emotion itself. You say, Daniel, that's a big idea. That's a big concept. Let's break it down. Let me give you an example. Public speaking. Man, I know you love public speaking as much as I do. If I were to ask you to come up here and deliver a 40-minute sermon, that would be no problem for you. For me, I'm not that way. I hate public speaking, and statistically, most people hate public speaking. Because what comes with public speaking? That feeling in your stomach, that fear, that emotion of being in front of people. That's why, you're, that's why they say all the time that you're supposed to do these things, like stare at certain people in order to deal with public speaking. But public speaking creates a lot of anxiety and fear in a lot of people. I remember my first year at Southwest, before I transferred to University of Memphis, I had a speech class. I had to take this speech class. Many of you have taken this speech class at U of M or beyond, and I was dreading this speech class so much. My teacher, she gave me the syllabus on the first day of class, and on the syllabus was three days that we would be giving these speeches, three days throughout the semester. And so I looked at these three days. One of them was in September. One of them was in uh, October. One of them was in November. And I saw that I had three excused absences to use. So I emailed my professor, first email I ever sent in college. I said, ma'am, I checked the syllabus. I saw all the speech dates. I want you to know it's just wild that this happened. I don't know how this occurred, but I will be unavailable for all three. Is there any way that I could not have to give a speech? And I was like, maybe I could just give it, you know, one-on-one -on -one in private, right? At that point, it's not even a speech. I'm just giving a conversation. And I sent her this email, and I was like, okay, you know, I was 18. I was like, this is surely going to work. And she emailed me back, and she said, actually, I'll just pick out another day in the class that only you can share. <laughs> Perfect. So I can give this speech, and the rest of the hour and a half class, everybody can think about what I just said. <laughs> and I remember those feelings and those emotions that go along with it. 
And I couldn't get out of it. And I, I, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that feeling of fear, that feeling that overtakes you. So the night before, I had stayed up all night working on this speech. I didn't sleep one second. I was up all the way to the sunrise. And at this time, I had very long hair. I didn't really know how to dress. It was very hot outside. I wore long sleeves and pants everywhere I went. This was the third week of September. The degrees in Memphis was nothing but 107 degrees at the time. And so my class was at 12.45, and so 11 a.m. came, so I got in my car, and I headed to Southwest. Now, I had not slept one second. I had been up the entire night, and I had motivated myself and pushed myself that I was going to do this. I was going to get there. I was going to go into the room. I was going to practice this speech, and then I would be ready for all these students to come in, and I was going to knock this out of the park. I was so excited. So I drive in my 1995 Nissan Altima to Southwest. I park in the parking lot. I turn the car off, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this, and I sit there for a second. And I fall asleep in the car. And I sleep for 60 minutes straight in this car. And I wake up, and it's 1230. I have 15 minutes to go to class. And I am dripping in sweat. I look like I have jumped into a pool. My hair is nasty. I'm, I'm disgusting. I need a shower. And I'm sitting there realizing that this speech is coming in the next 15 minutes. So I grab my stuff. I put it in my bag. I run to the classroom, literally running through Southwest, looking like something is wrong with me. And I run into the classroom, and I get there just in time, and she cancels class. <laughs> so I come back the following week. I do the speech, and it was the worst experience of my life. And to me, what I was trying to do is I was trying to control every single circumstance around this class. See, an emotion had me trying to change the schedule of her class for her. An emotion had me staying up all night long not sleeping. An emotion had me thinking that I could outsmart or outwork the people around me to get out of this speech when really it only made it more complicated and magnified the issue on me. And let me tell you something. I'm not the only one in the room who understands trying to escape an emotion or a fear. The thing about public speaking is there's a way to biblically conquer that fear. But if you don't do it biblically, if you don't go to the Lord, you will never conquer it. And you'll spend the rest of your life running from any opportunities you have to give a public speech. Ultimately, you can't escape them. There will be a funeral at some point. There will be a wedding at some point. There will be a reception or a dinner at some point. And somebody will ask you to share in front of a lot of people. And if you have been running from that emotion your entire life, you will have no idea how to give it over to the Lord and deal with it. Now watch. That's what a lot of us in this room have done when it comes to our fears, our anxiety how people think of us, we have run and we have run and we have tried to control everything around that situation. Listen, that is exhausting. That is the reason why you are so drained every single time you go into your quiet time and try to pray and try to read your Bible because you know in your inner heart that you're trying to serve a God who you're not really trusting with how you feel. Because if you're trying to take control and outsmart your circumstances, what need would you ever have for God to do it anyway? If you can really outwork and outsmart your circumstances, why do you have to go to God and lean on him regardless? So we try to control. And listen, it will wear you down. It will beat you down. One of the things that I wrote down in my notes about this is that biblically there's a way to do this where we don't just avoid the problem. Biblically there's a way to do this where we can avoid the heartache and the wear and tear of trying to do things our way. Proverbs 21 verse 2 says this, that all a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Control at its core is an idol, and if our faith is in our control, our faith is in ourselves. I know many Christians who have been at it for a lot longer than even I have who believe they can control things around them, and we are left discouraged and sad every time. Because you and I, our control is so limited, we always fail, and trying to do that with your emotions 
will lead you to the same situation. You're not in that much control. Don't trust yourself to do it. There is only one who can work out your circumstances for you, and that is the Lord. And even if he doesn't work them out the way you would, you get to trust that he's good regardless through it. You, at some point, are going to have to let go of control and trust God if you're ever going to live for him. Because the God of heaven wants you to be in submission to him. He is not going to live in submission to you. Understand, you and I cannot place God underneath us. We are called to live under God. That means surrendering control to him. That means when you have an emotion like fear of public speaking and you want to get out of it or avoid it, that you are called to go to God. Why? Why would the God of the heavens and the earth care about how you feel about public speaking? Because he cares about you. A lot of us won't go to God with how we feel because we doubt the way he feels about us. But he has communicated that to you clearly. So we try to control. B is we try to cope. We try to cope. So if we can't control a situation, we'll try to cope with it. Ultimately, a great definition for this when you study it is that we distract ourselves by turning to busyness or our favorite false comfort. Even in the psychology world, a coping mechanism is anything we do to make it through an emotional beatdown. I don't know if you know this or not. I was stunned to find this, that according to studies, 77% of people find themselves turning to addictive behaviors or coping mechanisms on a weekly and monthly basis. That means three out of four people are turning to addictive behaviors whenever they deal with an emotion that they don't know how to process that they won't turn to the Lord. It's amazing that emotions have not been talked about this much in church history when really in reality how we feel and what we think has led us to some of the, the worst sin we've ever found ourselves in. When it comes to coping, coping mechanisms come in all shapes and sizes. Some of them are good and some of them are really bad. The obvious is drugs and alcohol. If you want to know why people turn to drugs and alcohol, it's because it's to find a void in their life and to fill it. It's a way that you can cope, but it's not just for alcohol and drugs. It's for procrastination. <laughs> Whenever you don't want to work on that assignment and it's 11 a.m. and you have until 11.59, it feels good to distract yourself from it. You, you don't just sit there and think about the assignment, Parker. What do you do? You do anything except that assignment. You go on a walk. You talk to friends. You start cleaning the house and cleaning the room. You clean your parents' room. You clean the kitchen. You start mopping. Anything to get out of what you really want to do. Procrastination at its core is a coping mechanism. That's the reason why a lot of us don't spend time with the Lord every single day, because we don't really know how to approach him. So we busy ourselves up and we procrastinate getting in God's word until the point where we never get back around to it later in the day. It's not just for procrastination, though, college students. I'm telling you, it comes in a lot of forms. Some of it can be oversleeping. Some of it can be isolation. Some of it can be overworking. The reason why the term workaholics even exists is because there have been generations in our country of people who, when they felt something, go to work. If they feel sad, they go to work. If they feel angry, they go to work. If they feel any kind of way, they go to work because work was their escape from having to deal with it. Careers can be a great distraction when you don't want to deal with what God is doing on your heart. I don't know who the Lord is speaking that to, but I'm telling you, they come in all shapes and sizes. People pleasing can be a coping mechanism, shopping can be a coping mechanism. My wife will tell you I need to stop coping and going shopping for shoes, video games, social media. And not all of them are bad. Some of them are even good. They're a distraction we turn to when we refuse to deal with how we feel. And man, that relief is short-lived, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it amazing that relief just fades? 
In high school, I was a big video gamer. Whenever I felt something, my mom would tell you, I ran to Xbox. I was jumping on the game. And there's something crazy whenever you take off the headset and set the controller down, that real life just hits you, knocking on the door, your problems are still there. Even good hobbies will run out of relief if you haven't dealt with something. There's a God who cares. There's a God who loves. And most importantly, there's a God who feels. And there's a Messiah who will sympathize with you. You don't have to cope. Hear me, man. There's a lot of Christians who still believe they're in bondage because of the way they handle their emotions. There are a lot of Christians who can't get free because they don't deal with how they feel with the Lord. Psalm 55 tells us, Psalm 55 verse 22, says, cast your burden on the Lord. Not cast your burden even on other people first. Not cast your burden on a hobby. Not cast your burden on feeling loved and praised and accepted by people. Not casting your burden on feeling like a great Christian and everybody looks at you as religious and spiritual. It says, cast your burden on the Lord himself. And then the last one is, and here's the most damaging. Here's where a lot of you are really going to get tied in your seat for a moment. Is see, you try to conceal. And this is where as Christians we get really uncomfortable A lot of us believe the lie that I'm not going to struggle from any effects of watching pornography if I don't tell anybody about it. There's a lot of us who believe that we won't struggle from the effects of being bitter towards somebody if I just keep pushing that down. See, that's what conceal is. Here's what conceal is. It means when you have an emotion, you push it down and you try to get it from coming up. Let me tell you something. Bottling up an emotion is like shaking a Coke. At some point, when you take the lid off, you're going to blow up. At some point, you're going to blow up. You've all been there. I've been there. If you think that you can hold that emotion down, boy, you're wrestling with something that's a lot stronger than you. <laughs> Hear me, men, as a warning from God's word that if you are trying to shove a burden down instead of throwing it to the Lord, at some point, it's going to blow up. At some point, you will say something and you will treat someone in a way that you wish you could take back. It's why for countless decades, we've had hurt in our society. We've had hurt in our relationships. We've had hurt in our family. And a lot of it came because the emotion we experienced wasn't dealt with. We fed it with sinful thoughts. And over time, after trying to shove it down, it blew up on somebody. When is the last time you sensed this happen in your spiritual journey? Was it recent? What emotions have you not dealt with? What good is this to hear this word and to look at a verse like cast your burdens on the Lord and not reflect on what you have deep within you? See, in the Christian community, it's even harder. If you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here tonight. We pray that you would consider giving your life to Jesus. It's the best decision that you can ever make. But I want to tell you, after being around Christians for nine years now, one of the hardest things to overcome is this. And this is where it's going to get a little dicey for a minute. In the Christian community, it's often not okay to tell someone when you're struggling because what we often do as Christians is we put up a facade. We have some kind of way that we believe we should look at church and look at life groups and look at Monday nights. And if we break that facade, we run the risk of somebody knowing the true us. And man, when you do that for a number of years, 
and you keep pushing down what's really going on in your life to maintain something externally, you are dying internally. Some of you are there tonight. Here's your hope. You have freedom. There is freedom in Christ. Freedom is near to you, even though it feels so far from you. Jesus is not far from you. He is close to you. He is the only one that can provide the freedom that your heart is looking for. That's why for 2,000 years, the gospel has been changing lives. Jesus hasn't changed. Society has changed. Culture has changed. But Jesus has stayed the same. And some of you are pushing down these emotions. No, emotions were meant to be felt. You need to feel what you're feeling. However... If you don't deal with those emotions, pretty soon they're going to be leading you. And the emotions are not supposed to lead you. They're communicating something to you. And ultimately, it's communicating your need for Jesus. Man, I got to tell you, the positives to this are this. Number two, the amazing benefits of trusting God with your emotions. The amazing benefits of trusting God with your emotions. So we've looked at an idea tonight that we're called to cast our burdens on the Lord. Statistically, we have three ways, sometimes all three, sometimes one, that we try to do it our way. We control, we cope, or we conceal. You know exactly in your heart where that's happening. You know exactly how you need to deal with that with the Lord. Let's talk about the positives. When it comes to your heart, we know that this is the control center of the human. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Guard your heart above all else. For it is the source of life. We learn this from an early age. To guard your heart. But if you don't learn to do it in a biblical way, you will fail. You will fall short. Guard your heart. But a moment that I love in scripture that is so beautiful, one of my favorite moments, is in Luke chapter 8. Where a woman who's bleeding hears that Jesus is around and fights her way to Jesus. This is an amazing moment. Look at this in scripture. Luke chapter 8 says this, verse 43. It says, while he was going, Jesus, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any, approached him from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Now, here's an amazing illusion in this. At that time, for Jewish rabbis, they would wear robes. And on the end of those robes were tassels. And so when she comes up and grabs the end of his robe, that's where his tassels would have been, the tassels at the end of his robe. Now, the imagery here is really cool. She's coming to Jesus for supernatural healing, so she's asking and believing in some faith that he is God, that he has the power to heal. Only God can do that. She's believing. She has some faith here. And so when she grabs the end of his robe, what's amazing is there's some Old Testament symbolism happening here. See, in the Old Testament, when it talks about healing, What's really incredible is when it talks about God, it talks about how God has healing in his wings. That in the wings of the Lord, we find healing. So when she grabs the supposed Messiah's tassels on the end of his robe, it connects us back to who God is in the Old Testament. Because in the wings of God is healing, and these tassels would have represented wings in a way. She's showing she believes in some form or fashion that he is who he says he is. And she grabs him, and she finds healing. The bleeding stops. Look at what it says next. It's an amazing chapter. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Jesus doubles down. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell before him. Imagine this moment. Put yourself in her shoes. Imagine 
that you have had this health condition for years. Imagine that you have spent all you've had on doctors to try to have this condition healed. That anybody who knows you knows you have this condition and can't conquer it. Imagine you've dealt with this for years and years and years. And you come to this rabbi who's claiming to be the Messiah. You grab his robe and you experience healing that nobody else has been able to give you. And then you have to come in front of the whole crowd in front of him. And this happens. How would you feel in that moment? Can you imagine the emotions? Can you imagine how you would feel in that moment? I imagine how I would feel. It says this. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how he was, she was instantly healed. Verse 48, Jesus says, daughter. He said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman finds and meets Jesus. And it affects every single thing about her, including her physical healing. But to do that, did you notice what she had to do? To get to Jesus, she had to fight through the crowd. She had to fight her way there. And when she got there, it was worth it. And she's met with compassion. He looks at her as daughter. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can you imagine looking at Jesus eye to eye? No, you can and I can't either. I can't imagine looking in the face of the Messiah and him saying, son or daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Whether it's physical, emotional, or mental, whatever burden you have, Jesus is asking for you to cast it on him. Why are you still holding on so bad? Do you not believe he can? Is it a doubt in his power? Do you not believe he will? Is it a doubt in his care? What is it in you and me and our generation that we're willing to keep holding on to pain, hurt, and emotions that we can let go to the Lord? What is it? I'll tell you this. The first thing that you find whenever you go to God with how you're feeling is, A, the Lord hears you. The Lord hears you. When you speak, God inclines his ear to you and he hears you. That as a child of God, as a believer, when you know Jesus, that he allows you to approach the throne of grace boldly and that God hears you. That what you have in your life to share, God is listening. The people that you care so much about in your life who won't give you the time of day or won't lend their ear to you, you have the creator of the heavens and the earth wanting to know about your day. You have the creator of the heavens and the earth wanting to know what you feel, why you feel it, how long you've been feeling it. And then when you communicate those things to God, it's not that you're telling him something he doesn't know. It's that you're communicating it to the perfect listener. And here's the great side. You're communicating it to the perfect, greatest communicator himself. One of the dangers of going to people before you go to God is that their advice can fail you. They may not have your best interests at heart. Even a family member who you love at the end of the day is imperfect. A family member doesn't know the perfect word to say to you when you're feeling some kind of way. But I'll tell you what, God does and his word does. He doesn't fail at communication. Some of us in here aren't even giving God the chance to communicate with us. We want religion and ministry and other people to speak to us, but we won't even speak to God who wants to speak to us. Man, I'm telling you, you and I are leaving healing on the table when we don't talk to God. We're leaving blessings on the table when we don't talk to God. And we're leaving intimacy and personal connection on the table when we don't talk to God. At 21, I prayed prayers that said, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Show yourself to me. And he did. Have you prayed that if you don't know him? As a believer, is your faith 
in who you portray yourself to carry you. If it is, you're going to run dry very quickly. When you come to God and you talk about an emotion, when you bring a fear, when you bring an anxiety, when you bring a worry to God, he hears you. Not only that, though, the Lord sympathizes with you. The Lord sympathizes with what you feel. Not everybody in your life sympathizes with you. Not everybody in your life gets it. And you and I need to be aware of that. We're going to talk about godly counsel from other people in a minute, but you need to understand that ultimately the one who can understand you the best is the one who suffered on the cross on behalf of you. Is anybody grateful that Jesus died on the cross for them tonight? Amen? That Jesus would die for you, raise from the dead, give you eternal life and new hope, that he sympathizes with you. We read last week that we have a great high priest who knows and relates to what we feel and what we go through, especially when it comes to isolation, because there's nothing more isolated than hanging on a tree in front of all humanity for that humanity's sin. That's isolating. In fact, the reason Jesus was so emotional and praying and to the point where he was sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane was the spiritual effects of what was about to happen, of him taking your place on the cross. Jesus has felt what you have felt. He has been tempted in the ways you've been tempted, yet did not sin because he's holy and blameless. He feels what you feel more than anybody else can in your life. Nobody can sympathize with you the way that Jesus can. Isn't it amazing that he desires to? That he wants to and he can. His desires match his ability. He'll sympathize with you. And then the Lord heals you. The Lord heals you. It's an amazing thing when you read the New Testament. Many of the miracles, most of them even, are healings. Physical healings. Every time Jesus met a physical need, he met a spiritual need. They didn't just get healed physically, they met the Messiah. And hear me, maybe you do need physical healing. Every Sunday morning here at Bellevue, we anoint people with oil, oil, symbolic of what Scripture tells us to do. And we pray for healing in their life. And I want to tell you, we've seen a lot of people come back to us and say that God healed them. That they prayed with us that Sunday and they went to the doctor and whatever diagnosis they had was gone. Not all times, but we've seen amazing healings happen. But a lot of times we don't even talk about healings like God can do it because a lot of us don't believe he can. I'll tell you, even more impactful than the physical is that God can heal you emotionally where you need healing. And I want to tell you, in the room, there's scars in this room. If nothing else, from the generation that you've lived through, from the pandemic during COVID, that you and I have things emotionally, mentally, and spiritually that we need healing from. What do I mean by healing? I don't just mean that you get to see again after your eyes were blind, but metaphorically, that truly, if you're in, in enslaved to sexual sin, that God can heal you of that stronghold, that God can give you great healing. That if you're somebody who says, I can't help but worry, I'm a worrier, that's how I am. No, God can heal that. God can restore that. God can renew that. Through medicine, miracle, or both, God can heal you. But the first step is going to God with what you are walking through because he calls us, he commands us to do that. The Lord will heal you. However way you think you're stuck in that emotion, I'm telling you, God can bring you healing through that emotion so that you can process it in a way that's godly. The sadly, for 18 to 24-year-olds, most of us aren't willing to take the time to do that. There's other things like people's approval or church or ministry or career that we feel like it'll do it faster for us because prayer often takes too long. No, the Lord will heal you. And then D, straight from our text tonight, the Lord sustains you. It's hard to say. The Lord sustains you. 
First Peter says, cast all your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. Our verse tonight says, cast all your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. But the spirit of God in you will sustain you and keep you going when you feel like you can't anymore. That it's possible to overcome a stronghold and live in victory. I don't know about you, but man, do you ever overcome a sin or overcome a fear for a certain amount of time and then you keep falling back into it after a certain amount of time? It's like you go a week or you go two weeks and it's like, man, you know, I I see some progress and I fall right back into it. I want to tell you, like, God promises that he can sustain you if you rely on him every day. That's why if you look at the pattern, whenever you and I fall back into something, it's always because we got a little bit away from God Not that God got away from us. You draw near to him. He can sustain you through whatever you go through. Whether that be heartache, loss of a loved one. I remember the emotion of saying goodbye to my grandmother in the hospital. And I remember me and my mom and our family asking the Lord to sustain us through this hard emotional time. And he did. But we still felt every single one of those emotions of grief and heartache. Because we needed to feel those, but we needed to feel those in the presence of the Lord. He'll sustain you. And then the last one is this. The Lord provides godly people to talk to. And this is where I'm going to really land the plane for tonight. God's word tells us to cast your burdens on him because he cares for you and he will sustain you. The woman finds healing in Jesus. Jesus, she goes straight to God. But I want to tell you. If you are living with something in your life that you have not told anybody, you have made yourself a prisoner to where you're not meant to be a prisoner. I said a long time ago here at The View, what you don't bring into the light will always bring you into the dark. You don't have to tell everybody When you've sought the Lord, when you've gone to the Lord, if you have a stronghold or an emotion or a feeling or a thought, if you don't tell somebody, you can find yourself in chains to it. If you're struggling with comparing yourself to somebody, you need to talk to somebody in your life that's godly after you've talked to the Lord about that. If there's a sin, if there's an emotion, if there's a fear that you can't escape, the longer you keep it in the dark, the more you'll find yourself in the dark. Some of you walked in here tonight heavy, and it's because of what you've got in your backpack zipped up on you that you haven't talked to anybody about. And the reason why we often don't go to a loved one to talk about it is because of the emotions we're scared of that go into that. Man, there is so much freedom in truth and honesty as we began our night. Some of you are living in a lot of ways that are killing you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. But to do that, you have to go to him. V family, I want to tell you, we have a God who loves you. We have a God who cares for you. We have a God who sympathizes with you. We have a God who will remind you that you're not alone, regardless of what you feel or what you're walking through. He's not gotten far from you, but if you've gotten far from him, you can always come right back to him.